So as Leah was saying, we were, um, we were out of, of town, and one of the things we got to do, I don't know if there's any Third Day fans, anybody? It's a handful of us. Um, Mac Powell was on the island at the same time as us, and he gave a private, wasn't meant to be private, but a rather private <laughs> concert <laughs> at one of the churches. And, you know, and, and pastors, pastors often can't help themselves, but, you know, talk before and after everything. Um, I, I, I don't mean that to be disparaging to folks like myself and my wife, um, but, you know, we're talkers. <laughs> and one of the things I thought was really funny, he, he asked, because, uh, you know, chat, GPT, and AI, it's all in the news everywhere, right, y'all? So he asked chat, GPT about their church, and it gave this really beautiful introduction to who they are, what they've been doing, their history, this whole thing. So I, I thought I, I would look into it for us, too. And, um, and what, do, you know, do you know what chat, GPT says about us? I'm sorry, but as of my knowledge cut off in September 2021, there's no specific information available about the Vineyard Church of Holly Springs. It's possible that the church may have been established or undergone changes since then. No. <laughs> and I thought as we're in a series on humility, perhaps this is a great introduction <laughs> that, that we can realize we are under the, the lens of, of what uh, chat GBT, that when the robot revolution rises up, we're safe for a little while in this room, that this is a good place to be. Um, ironically, church, I, I think that, that we as a people, uh, Christians and humans at, at large, um, have a hard time distinguishing between pride and humility. And, and that doesn't seem on the surface to be something that you would expect. Like, you know, you got light and dark, you can tell the difference of those pretty easily. You know, good and bad, you can tell the difference of those pretty easily. You know, but, but I think pride is one of those really weird things that we can't quite recognize so much. Um, many of you know that I spent some time working at, at Amazon, and uh, one of the, the things that Amazon's known for are their leadership principles. Everywhere you work, they probably have some sort of culture that they try to make you understand and abide by. Well, the, they, they synthesized it down to, to 12 leadership principles. This is the list of all of them with a little bit of description for it. It's not going to be on the test. You don't have to worry about all that. But, you know, as, as a good employee, you go through the orientation. There's videos. There's, you know, all the sort of stuff you have to do for that first month, all that sort of things. You can look this up. But the one that kind of stood out to me was uh, the one that's there in the top right. It says, leaders are right, dot, 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 a lot. And the hubris of that statement at first was very offensive to me. Right? Like, like, like how, who has the audacity to say that you have to be right a lot? But when they began talking about this principle and what it means, it's actually humility and not pride. And you might not believe me yet. But here's, here's the thing. They're right a lot because when they're confronted with new, better, or correct information, they adapt and change. Well, that's just humility <laughs> with extra steps, right? It's saying that I might be wrong, and, and, and so I'm going to get more information. That will then make me right <laughs> because I've changed, right? So it, it's the same idea, and I think we have this, this problem distinguishing between pride and humility. Um, it's a path to humility with extra steps, but it's not always passivity. It's, I think that, that sometimes we think that um, humility looks like this. I might be wrong, but, you know, then we say something that we know we're correct about. Two plus two is four. I might be wrong, but, you know, pretty sure two plus two equals four. If you know that two plus two is four, the humility is not in trying to demean that fact, right? It's not trying to back away from the truth. 
It's not about trying to underscore something and, and try to just create this impression of being humble or maybe we're not so set about things when we know that's the case. I think, you know, if you're, if you're paying, playing the, the world-class dart player, right, and, and, and they're like, oh, they're going to throw off to the side a few times to give you a chance, that's not humility again. And I think that, that we don't understand particularly what, what humility looks like when it's confronted with actual leadership, boldness, capability, authority, power. These are things that I know people in this room have. And how we can be humble at the same time that we are being who we've been made to be, I think, is a, is a very important thing. Uh, no one ever sets out to become an addict. I, I've said this from the pulpit many times, and I know that this is true. Nobody starts with their New Year's resolution saying, if I try really hard, if I drink alcohol every day, I know I can become an alcohol by, by the end of the, the, this year. You know, if, if I find the most illicit drugs I can, I, I know I can destroy my life and my marriage. I know my finances can be in financial ruin if I set about trying to do this you know, by the end of this year. We don't go about those paths. We don't want to lose our family to bitterness or an affair. But there was a man who was mentoring me at one point in time, and I remember uh, having seen and read about some of the destructive natures of, of affairs in the church, and I remember saying that in my pride that, that I had confidence that my story would not be like that, um, that we were beyond that. And with a tear in his eye, he shared a confession with me. But by the grace of God, so go I. Our pride and our humility are often right there on the cusp of themselves. If we ever think we're beyond something, if we ever think that we can't learn a lesson, if we ever think that, that, that we couldn't stumble and fall, you know, we've lost ourselves already. We, we've forgotten who we are and what we're about and, and how we got there. My point is this. We can find inroads to humility everywhere. No matter where you're at with your capability, your ability, your position, your power, what you're able to do, who you are, the life you've lived so far, there are inroads to humility everywhere. Um, we've come, though, to associate humility with these um, lower positions. You know, he comes from humble origins, we say. What does that mean? It means he had no money. It means he had no education, right? It means that he had no options. That's not really hum humility. That's just poor, <laughs> right? And, and, and we've misunderstood again what these things mean because we use them as euphemisms. And, and, and Christ coming from humble origins, yes, he came from actual poverty, but that wasn't why he was humble. That's not how he was humble. That's not what that looks like. Uh, if you remember the first week that we were talking about humility, I was talking about how it's not so much a personality treat as much as it's an intentional posturing. It's a lowering of yourself, an emptying of yourself. It, it's getting down below to lift something else up. So what do we do with what we have? If you've got the ability, if you've got position, if you've got power, if you've got capability, if you've got authority. There's an awkward space for perfectionists, right? And what I mean by that is if you're a perfectionist, sometimes you don't want to share the things that you've done because they're not perfect yet. They can be so close to perfect, but you are somehow holding them back. Is it just me? Anybody else? Yes? All right. <coughs> it's because it's not perfect. It might be good. It might be great. It might be excellent, but it's not yet at that standard that you hold for yourself. Is that humility or is that pride? 
Do you see? <laughs> There's this weird space where pride and humility almost occupy that same throne in our hearts. And we try to manifest them this way, and one kind of looks like the other, and it's this really awkward thing. And the thing is, that demonstration of pride slash humility, whatever you want to call it, it robs us of joy. It robs us of an experience. It paralyzes us. And I think that if I had to pick something that, that for the most part, not the church as it appears in culture, but as I believe Christians themselves appear, I think it's that idea of being paralyzed. Because we think we have to be mannerly, we have to be lower, we have to be meek, we have to be soft-spoken. We can't be as good as we are in things because we don't know how to do it well. And I think that it has caused us to, to have a, a backwards look at ourselves when, when really there's things that we know. We know that two plus two equals four. We know that God is good. We know that he's gracious. We know that he has life and life to the full. But we want to be passive about it. We want to be quiet about it. We don't want to be too, too obnoxious about these things because we've learned that, that it can be off-putting. I had a, a, another mentor, another guy who told me this as I was sharing with him my frustrations on my own life, and he, he looked at me. It's one of those things when they look into your soul, you know, and you know it's going to come. He says, you ever notice, Josh, how perfectionism never leads to perfection? Like, oh, <laughs> right? Perfectionism never leads to actually being perfect. It, it, make, it stops us on the path to, to even trying things often. So power, position, authority, capability, and leadership. That's really where we're going today. What makes a leader? I've seen people in my career get promoted to positions because they wanted to be somebody else's problem. Um, that was the, the you, you would promote those who you didn't want to be your problem, so you would get them out of your department, and that was not a good recipe for a wonderful company. I left that company. Um, <laughs> I've seen people assume leadership because of words written on a piece of paper, right? Sometimes that's all it takes. You have a resume. You've done things in the past, and that's enough for them to assume leadership. Or previous successes, promises of, of meritocracy. That, that's a good one right now in the tech industry. We promise that it's a meritocracy, that if you're really good, then, then you're going to succeed here. You know, it's not about the politics here. It's not about, you know, all that stuff. It, it's, it's the meritocracy. If you're actually that good, then, then you'll be noticed. How do we see and understand all of this stuff in the context of humility? So biblically, you're probably not surprised. We're going to look at Jesus. That's the good Sunday school answer for us. In John 13, I've got this on the board for us. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Often when there's a preamble, I feel like you're like, okay, yeah, Josh, get to the part. Don't, don't do that yet. Th this is actually very important to what we're going to be reading. That having uh, loved them, he loves them to the end. This is the framework. This is why this matters. This is the context for everything. This isn't just a loose words put on a page. Again, it was pretty hard to write these scrolls back in the day. The words matter. So having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. Also important, Jesus was aware of who he was in his position. Do you see where, where this is, why this really does matter? Jesus knew what was coming, and he knew who he was, and he loved the people in the room with him. 
Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, and by the way, maybe we see some false humility in that. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, swinging 180 degrees as Peter does, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. That was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Servant leadership is quite a term. Uh, it's been kicked around in, in business circles now for, for some time. It's, it's amazing to actually, if you, you look for it on LinkedIn, it's all over the place. Like Jason's Deli was founded out of servant leadership principles, like the, all these sorts of things. And they actually do matter. Like the way that they, they try to treat their employees, these things, like it, it is there. But again, we have to understand that servant leadership is truly countercultural. Um, we watched the, this, this new Spider-Verse movie when we were at the beach as well. Anybody seen that yet? I, I liked it. Karis loved it. Leah slept through at least 45 minutes of it. <laughs> Ava was, was kind of indifferent to it. But it was a longer movie. It was a long way of saying that we all have a capacity for good and for evil. That's kind of the, the whole idea of that. So that's the, the theme, right? The idea that, that what, we are, what we can do can swing either direction. It can be either good or evil. I want to say it, with leadership in particular, we have seen some of the worst abuses of power done in the name of Jesus. We have seen the worst of humanity cloaked in the name of Jesus. We've idolized the entrepreneur-hustler model of church planting. We want charismatic, even narcissistic, confident men and women at our helm. We feel like that is how the church is going to succeed in this world. We want them well-dressed. We want them well-educated. We want them wealthy. Because that way, I want to be like that when I grow up. And we put these men in the position where we are calling them Lord and teacher. And there is never once a towel being taken off and wrapped around a waist in the model of this. What is the point of power? What is the point of position? What is the point of leadership? Like, like truly, this is a question that we need to understand and, and recognize as we are the ones who anoint our leaders. I mean, that, that's what democracy is about. That, that's what churches do. That's how we follow. We follow people. Why? Why do you follow anybody, any artist, any podcast, any author? Why do you follow them? Because they already have a, a, a popular following? 
because they, they already have success that you want to idolize, because you're, you're coming after that? What is it that makes you vote with your feet or with your dollars who it is that you follow? Is it to entertain, to gain wealth, or to make something of the world, to shape it? Leaders in this world are often in the serve me mentality versus I serve you. And it's so natural for us to say that we don't even realize they can go the other way. We expect leaders to be served by us. That, that's the king mentality, right? The king sets himself up on a throne. He gets fanned by the, those giant fronds that somehow they always have, right? And then the, in the red, ready. That those, those fronds are there just so that the king can relax in his chair and, and just deem his, his wisdom out to us as, as people come groveling before the throne. It, it's a serve me. Give me the, 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 the tithes. Give me the, the wealth of the storehouse. Give me the richest foods. Let your sons and daughters come and serve me. Versus a king who comes to serve his people, who treaties on behalf of his people for the land, who goes forth in battle pr to protect them, who has wisdom, who spends time wrestling with the hard questions so that he can rule his people well. So much of worldly leadership is positioned to give p benefit, power, influence, and pride to those in leadership, not to benefit those under that leadership. Matthew 20 Verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and that their high officials exercise authority over them. I mean, that's just common sense. <laughs> Not so with you. I mean, we could stop there. Is that true of us? Not so with us. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This type of leadership is still rare. It, it, it goes so far, but only as comfortable. You know, it, it can, I, can, I can take this to this extreme, but, but how far can we actually run this out? You know, like, like I, you know, okay, washing the feet, that's a nice example. <laughs> you know, what, what does that actually mean? And, and, and we'll use that as, a, as an object lesson or, or things like that. The nature of the position of leadership is to benefit the people that you serve. We played Tenzi this past week. Anybody ever played that game? It's like Yahtzee with 10 dice. Very obnoxious if you have wooden tables, which we did. Um, and so we would we'd have these 10 die, and, and we'd throw them on the table, and you're, it's like a race to see who can get all the die to, to, to be like one, two, three, or four, five, six, you know, at the same time. And, and you know, that, that's a pretty quick and simple game, so we quickly made it more complicated. You know, like, oh, you have to first do this, and then you have to do that. Like, all these sorts of rules that we would add. And I have a nephew who I will not name, um, just in case he ever listens to this. But, but he used his position of being the champion of the, the previous round to pick the most obnoxious game mode <laughs> for the next round. This is the same guy, though, who always wants to play Monopoly. And he wants to play Monopoly and not just the normal edition. There's an edition you can buy that he says he wanted. He's, it's been on his list, his Amazon wish list for, for years. What, what is it called? The, the longest, most painful edition, something like that. Twice the spaces, half the money, single die, all different rules just to really grind in you that you hate this game. <laughs> and he used his position of, of being the champion of the previous round to enact not a good favor for the rest of us, but to be like, now we're going to make it even harder. <laughs> you know? And that's what he used that power for. Honestly, there's, there's tons of scripture talking about corrupt leadership, bad shepherds, 
false prophets, bad kings. This is as common as any other story in scripture, is that there are people doing these things badly. But this is the one that hit me. Uh, this is Jeremiah 2.13, when we're trying to lead in our own way. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. We've used this to talk about many things throughout the church, but I think when we realize that this is a way that we're talking about leadership in the church, we have forsaken the godly, Christ-like model of leadership for a broken model that does not give life. We, we, we're, we're giving away so much of, of what we think this should be about because we're chasing after the American dream. Because we're chasing after the, these ideas of, of leadership that, that look like what the worldly ideas of success are. How many people, how much money, how large is the ministry, worldwide, all these sorts of things. We, we want it to be bigger and better than what came before. And if it's not bigger and then better, then, then it can't be of God because God's always got to be, God's got to always win. So win at all costs, and I know exactly what winning looks like. The thing is, it just doesn't hold up. Narcissism, charisma, will not bear the fruit of the gospel. It just won't bear the fruit of the gospel. It'll bear fruit. <laughs> and you can tell what it is by the fruit. And we have seen so many ministries shut down. We've seen so many men and women hurt by the church. We've seen so many people come forth and, and leaving the faith because we have been building this thing up in our own image. We've been using the name of the Lord in vain because we are not actually seeking him as he can be found. We've been digging our own cisterns that cannot hold water. Why do we say in the vineyard that we lead without titles? Why do we say that we lead without power? There's this, uh, it's become a meme, but there's this, this graphic here of uh, the boss versus the leader. You might have seen this before. The boss, I like that, the, that it's like somehow both ancient Egyptian and also corporate. Um, but he's, he's, in a, he's in a desk with his chair, and it says mission on the box, and he's telling them what to do, and then it says leader that is there in the front pulling the, you know, with the guys. And it's kind of a nice feel, right? And I think that, that at a very quick level, we might think that this is the ideal. This is what we want out of a leader. But the, the problem is it, it's really still not the Christ-like model. Christ isn't just pulling us for the mission. What is the mission, right? What is this weight that they're trying to pull? Like, like what, is, what is going on here? He's the first among these others, but, but that's not what we see when he took a towel. It actually gets me emotional. When he took a towel in the middle of this dinner, wrapped it around his waist in a complete just display of love and service to those men that he'd walked alongside the dusty roads on. And everybody's competing for positions. Everybody's trying to figure out where they're going to be whenever everything's great and glorious. And Jesus sees that. He knows what's in people's hearts. And he sets before them an example. He's not just the first one pulling. He's turning and facing them and grabbing the rope from them. It's not our mission. It's not our plan. It's not our power. It's not our calling. It's his. And that's why this graphic fails us. Because the paradigm in this is that we're still trying to move this abstract mission thing along. What is the mission of the church What's the mission of the gospel? Is it to educate? <laughs> is it to inform? Is it, is it just like a school? Is it like a hospital? Like, what is the mission of the gospel? To protect? To enforce? To judge? There's org charts, right? If you've been in a company, you've been, you've been placed on an org chart, right? 
and you've got the CEO at the top and it all goes down like this nice little pyramid. And, and this is actually, again, this is not from Christian literature. This is from the business world talking about servant leadership, where you've got the top-down typical leadership structure, which is control-driven, versus a servant leadership structure that is bottom-up where you're empowering people to do the work that they need to be doing. I had a, a boss, actually a, a very good boss, maybe my, my best boss that I've had, so I'll name him Andrew. And um, one of the things that I like that he did, not, not that Andrew, <laughs> sorry, that Andrew's great too. Um, but, but one of the things that he said that he did intentionally was he was gonna shield us from meetings so that we could do our job. Thank you so much. Right? Because, you know, these, these come in there, and he knew that we were technical guys. We like doing this stuff, and, like, we have these collaborative things. Like, if you're at all like me, it takes you sometimes an hour to get in the mentality of something, and then you, like, once you're in the mentality of it, then, like, you can maybe have, like, an hour or two of, like, good work until it kind of breaks down for whatever reason. And you, if you've got a 30-minute meeting, if you've got an hour of meeting in the middle of that, you're just all disrupted, and everything's kind of just off the rails. And, and that was what he realized. He's like, guys, I will take all those meetings for you. He's like, I, whatever, when you need that, I will, I will represent us. I will talk for this. He goes, I might do it poorly, <laughs> but I'm going to be on there for you. Don't feel that obligation. It made the biggest difference to us. And he got on the on-call rotation for us, too. Sometimes, he, again, he made it worse. <laughs> you know? But he took those shifts because he's, he wanted to be, the, he empowered us. He's like, you're no good if you come in and you've had 30 minutes of sleep and then you can't work during the day. Like, I'll try to, to triage it. And if I can't do it, I'll call. You know, he had that humility in it too. It was a good boss that I had in that thing. Leadership means responsibility. Leadership means responsibility. You're responsible for the outcome. You're responsible for the people under your care. It's not about position. It's not about power. It's not about, about any of those things. It's about responsibility for those people. Jesus prayed for those people who were entrusted for him. This is from John 17. This is when he's praying for all believers. It says this in verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, as we are one. He, again, he knows he's going to the cross. What's on his mind? Protect these people. I won't be able to do it any longer. I'm mindful of them. I'm mindful of their plight. I, I know what's going to come next. Protect them, Father, by the power of your name. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. That, that's a profound thing that Jesus just said, that he protected them while he walked this earth. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. The gospel, I want you to hear, has no mission without people. People are the mission. <laughs> it's love. Remember when I said that in that, that passage when we're reading, you know, we're all one of focusing on the washing the feet, but it started already when he said that he was in the world and he loved them. That was where it began. They are the object they're the reason. This, this is the, the point of all of this stuff. It's because people really do matter. The church exists because people matter, because Christ is working to reconcile all people to himself. If we think it's about the, the words we're going to say into a microphone, that makes no sense. Education doesn't make any sense apart from the truth of what the Lord has done because of his great love for us, because he came and he loved and he died for us. 
I know it kind of sounds like the description of our government, you know, of the people, by the people, for the people. But the reality is it's actually much, much better than that. The gospel is of God, by God, for people. That's a profound thing to realize. That the gospel is of God, by God, for people. Like, what kind of a king does that? What, what kind of a, a ruler does that? What, what kind of a gospel is like that? There is no other. It's the most profound truth that the gospel is of God, by God, and for people. The only model of leadership that works with the gospel is Christ-like. It's the only model. Any other type, any other way that we do this will we'll bring judgment on ourselves and will bear bad fruit. And, and, and that's just, I think, the nature, whenever you have the calling, whenever the judgment comes, that's what we're going to see, is all those other models, all, the, all those intentions, all that desire to, to drive, to build, to be, all that stuff will bear the fruit that it naturally will bear. And that's the judgment of itself. That's the judgment of itself. Rebellious kids, people who turn away from it, people who get disgusted. The world has actually given us such a gift often by looking at a lot of the televangelists, the people who are praying on the poor and saying, I want nothing to do with that. The world has done us a favor <laughs> because often these people are there for greed. And, and, and we can't act like that's in, in the name of Jesus. Just because they say the name of Jesus doesn't mean that they're acting as Christ would. And I think that we need to be bold enough, we need to understand humility enough, that we need to understand our responsibility in this, that we advance the gospel as it is. The only way onward is the way of Christ, and we shorthand this to servant leadership. The beautiful so what of the gospel is reconciliation, life to the full. It's the most human way of being human. Leading is responsibility, like I said, but this is why all kingdom leadership is servant leadership. Because we're not leading them to our own ends. We're not taking people to our best ideas. The church is in trouble when we start taking organizational notes from what is working. It becomes a game of marketing. Bait and switch. Psychology. There are so, so many church growth books out there, y'all. Like, I don't know what your ads are like. The amount of people trying to sell me on how to grow our church is in the hundreds, if not thousands. So many church growth books and plans and leadership books, everything. And, and, and here's a small example, just, just to give you an insight, if you don't know this world, you, you get things like this, like it, it's, a, it's a useful tidbit, I get what they're saying, but I'll tell you also why I don't like it. They say, well, you, you wanna have a, a, a role that when somebody comes into the church, you can get them serving right away. You know, you make sure that there's a low bar for service so that, that people can come in, they can greet, they can make coffee, they can, they can do something so that they feel that they're a part of the community and they're contributing. And then once they're, once they're contributing, once they're serving, then it's like you got them, right? <laughs> and I, I get that mentality. And, and we do value service. In fact, we value service so highly, and that's why I reject that idea. Because we value service so much. Because I don't want you to serve to make you feel connected. Because you are connected, I want you to serve. You see, it's just this little flip of these things. It's just the, this little way of, of trying to make sure that people are controlled, to make sure that they're in here, to make sure you get the program, make sure that you've got them going for all that stuff. And I get it. And the thing is, I bet you it works. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not even saying that it's wrong. I'm not, I'm not even saying that the intent of it is naturally evil. But I have this weird streak in me <laughs> that, that I just can't go with something like that that I don't abide by. Because the thing is, if I have somebody here that I don't know that they love Jesus, I don't want to make him coffee for you. I, like, like, really? Like, like, because 
are you doing this to the glory of God? Because I believe that some of the, the, the richest CEOs running these most important you know, companies in the world today are not fit to wash the feet of the saints. I, I, I believe that. I don't believe that, that, that their service is bringing glory to God. And if they come here and they just try to, to take some role without actually participating in, in, the, in the lifeblood of community and, and service, I don't care about it. And I think that that's what makes us so countercultural. It's what makes us so beautiful. It's what makes us something that I long to, to see done right and beautifully and well and healthy. And why I'm so tired of seeing it being done so poorly and, and bring apart so much judgment from, from all of these, these outside sources. Jesus makes the point to clarify that no servant is greater than the master. Right? He is the master. Humbling yourself isn't about losing power, position, authority, or whatever. And I think we're afraid about losing face. I think we're afraid about losing an image because we struggle to distinguish between the appearance of the thing and the thing itself. I'm afraid that if I look like the janitor, people won't know I'm the pastor. <laughs> like, if I'm in the toilet, if I'm, if I'm plunging out, you know, something that a, some kid did in there, and then you're going to be like, oh, that can't be the pastor. He's got, you know, urine all over his hands from, from something there. You know, what if we lose image? What if we lose face? And then we don't recognize what we think is the important part of power and leadership and everything. Christ wasn't worried about that. Christ wasn't worried about the appearance of a servant. He wasn't worried about looking lower than. He wasn't worried about the way things look because he knew who he was and where he came from. He was so set with the identity he had from the Father, with the power that he had, that nothing could diminish that. Do you actually believe that we have anything in our life that is unable to be compromised based upon something that we do? And I think the answer for a lot of us is, I don't know. I think we're afraid to figure that out. I think we're afraid that if we drop the facade, then we're going to lose respect. We're going to lose relationship. We're going to lose whatever amount of control, whatever amount of, of prestige I managed to pull down for myself. I think we're going to feel like if I don't have this image, then what do I have? And so we fight to hold on to it because I don't know what else there is. Because we don't trust that this is actually the better way. We don't trust who we are. We don't trust what God has done. Can we recognize Jesus as Lord with a towel around his waist? That, that, I think that's a real question. Do you recognize Jesus as Lord when he has a towel around his waist? Are we afraid that our glory will be reduced if people can't hear my title? Let's also address Peter's passion or zeal that we saw here. There's an ego to take advantage of someone serving. Do you ever get stuck holding the door for a crowd of people? Yeah. <laughs> like, you want to be nice and you open the door for one person, then, oh, two, three, four, five, I guess I'm the doorman now. And there's this crowd that just goes right by you, and it's like, okay, I'm going to. And then, then there's that awkward thing of trying to get somebody that's coming down to take it from you, you know, so <laughs> you just kind of skirt through. Just me again? Really? At least, uh, all right, at least a few others. You know, and there's that, that leave a penny, take a penny thing, right? That somebody comes around, they just take all 15 that are in there right now. People tend to, to ruin this for other people because they take advantage of this. I want to say that we cannot take advantage of God's grace and mercy. We cannot 
take advantage of God's grace and mercy. And I think we feel like we have to protect him. You know, like, like he's so gracious, he's so forgiving, he's so merciful that, that like we want to kind of protect his image. And like, well, you know, you, you don't want to just keep on sinning, you know, whatever, whatever it is. We want to protect his image. But Jesus shows us what this looks like in this passage. It's kind of amazing. He has boundaries, <laughs> right? It, that, that he's here with, with Peter. Peter's like, oh, you need to wash. Well, then wash my, my head and my hands. And he's like, no, <laughs> I'll wash your feet, like I said, because that's what needs to be washed. Like, no, he refuses to be taken advantage of in that way. He is both humble and secure and on mission, what a wonderful example for us. And, and we don't know how to do that well. We, we're afraid that we're going to get taken advantage of. We're afraid we're going to be stuck holding that door for tons of people. We're afraid that, that if we put out $5, they're going to ask for five more. We're afraid that it's going to be this non-ending flow where, where we have become a Christian doormat. And we don't know how to stand up and stop being humble when Christ has showed us what it is. It's to love people. It's to understand the gospel to say, I'm going to show you an example of what this is, and to live that out to its fullest and to its completion. It's a beautiful example he gives us. I don't believe that his majesty and humility are foolish enough to be taken advantage of. Jesus won't give you a bath, Peter. Um, Christians, all of us, are leaders. And, and this is a point where I think I lose a lot of people. Because a lot of people don't feel like they're leaders. People feel like, oh, there's a leadership team, or there's all this sort of stuff, or, or it feels like a, a lowered, lowering of the bar, right? If, 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 if everybody's a leader, then, then who are we actually following? You know, whatever that might be. I, bear with me on this, and I, I've made some mistakes with this in, in my past, but, but I, I hold to this line that Christians, all of us, are leaders, because anyone with the gospel is a leader to those who do not have it, because you know the path to walk. Because you know where your steps should take you. It may not fit on an organizational diagram. It may have no title. But when you speak, how you speak, it matters because it has to bring life and light and be influential. That's what the gospel is. <laughs> and if it's not that, then we're probably not speaking the gospel. If it's not done by love, then it's actually not the gospel. If it's not being driven by those things, then what is it anyway that we're speaking? Or is, is it an invitation to church? Because that's not necessarily the, the fullness of the gospel, right? But is it actual demonstration of God's love and power, forgiveness, and reconciliation? Then we are leaders. If we have the gospel, we are leaders in this world. We know the path to go. Scripture says we will judge angels. I, I have this, um, this scripture up here. It, it's a confusing one. This is from 1 Corinthians or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the trivial cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? Th this is such a weird, like, almost one-off thing that Paul puts out there and people don't really know what to do with it. It's like, whoo, okay, let's move on to that because he's talking about other things in the context. He just, like, drops this line in there. But what a profound thing to realize who we have, that we are leaders that in creation, we are leaders. The least among us are worthy to judge the world. What does that mean? Why do we lead? Why do we do this? To lift others up. Again, the servant leadership of this matters. 
This is why we're called to lead. This is because people need to be lifted up. They need to see the way. They, they need to know what love is. They need to know that it's not about titles. They need to know that it's not about all these other things, this, this wealth, this franchise, whatever it might be. They need to know that Christ loves them. To love, to live a better life, everything else is a vanity, a corruption leadership, evidence of a fallen world, a chasing after the wind. An abuse of power is whenever that power is used for the, your own benefit. Any time that I have a power and I use it for my own benefit, it's an abuse of power. If I can pass a law, and I pass that law to benefit myself and my friends, it's an abuse of power. If I'm given personal information, and I use that to feel special, to be included, to, to use it as gossip, right? That's an abuse of power. If it's leadership, crafting people to appease our egos, to satisfy our desires. So wrapping this up, we're doing a whole series on humility. And I, I, I was thinking that that's a very interesting thing because we're talking and teaching about it, but it needs breath in its lungs. It needs muscles to move, not words floating around through the air. Because humility is not an argument to be made. It's not a debatable point. I, I assume my working model here is that everybody in here understands and agrees that Christ is humble, right? And that we should be the same. <laughs> if you disagree with those points, oh, we got more work to do than I thought. But, <laughs> but I, I assume that we're coming from that point, right? So th this isn't, I'm not like debating these things, you know, I'm not even trying to educate you. I think that there's some nuance trying to understand some of the finer points about it so that we can operate in boldness with authority and humility at the same time. And, and to remember that whole idea about lowering ourselves, that it's, it's not a natural personality trait or characteristic, it's a posturing. But from this week, it's not a posturing of speculation or performance, but it's one of intent. What I, what I mean by that is that Christ's washing the feet wasn't an object lesson. And I, I'm afraid we want to make it that. We want to make it this, this cutesy little thing that he did once that, that kind of showed us this thing so that, like, you know, his whole life was servant leadership. I mean, it, the end of it was servant leadership. The beginning of it was his ministry always, his protection, his healing. All of this was to lift others up, to reconcile them to the Father, to use his power to benefit others, to empower them to go and to do likewise. His entire life and ministry was servant leadership. And he set before us an example that we could all do. <laughs> something that, that, that was just so obtainable, something that was so uh, almost obvious. That's like, if you don't know how to do any of the rest of this, let me show you. What, what's, what's the job that nobody wants to do? What's, what's the job that has to be done? Let me show you how everybody, myself included, we are part of that. We do this together. The so what is that we understand, we value, we remember, and we posture ourselves. Because if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, he will heal our land. Our land needs healing. Our land needs healing so thoroughly, so badly. Our neighbors need to be reconciled one to another. And it should be done in the name of Christ. Not in a false Christ, not in, not in a self-serving, you know, religious tone but Christ-like humility demonstrating the gospel. If your prayers feel unanswered, if your authority seems ineffective, 
If your love falls flat, please pay attention. God visits the humble. We have joy through humility because everything else, this is a better path. It's a necessary path. That, that whole passage, the washing the feet, ends where Christ said that we are blessed if we go and do this. Do you really believe that? I mean, like, like I, I think that this is, again, a real question. Do you really believe you will be blessed if you go and you wash people's feet? And again, that, that's, that's something from the, the time, the culture, and there's different aspects of it now. Or do we simply think that we're being nice and obedient? I, I have a prayer for every place that I've ever worked, and I, I, I'm continuing to pray. I've, I've had more jobs now than, than I probably should have. Um, but every job that I have, I go and I pray the blessing of Joseph. Uh, this comes from Genesis 39. The Lord is with Joseph, and he was a successful man. He was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him an overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Servant leadership, blessing those around you, even those Egyptians, even those who are unworthy of it, even those who don't know to ask for it themselves. I pray with every job that I have, truly, that they do better because I'm an employee there. If you look at the stock market, it doesn't necessarily track with my career. <laughs> but I, I do believe, truly, that the teams that I'm on, the people that I've worked with, would attest to that. I, I, I do. I, I hope that's actually the testimony of my career, is that the people and the teams I've been on, that they're better off because I worked on them, because we were a part of the same thing. May we be blessed to be a blessing. So here, here's the application for you. What's the Lord entrusted for you to lead? This is a personal application thing. There, there's a good prayer that, that we've kicked around the vineyard for a while. Trust me as far as you can with the character that I have. Develop my character so that you can trust me even more. It's a beautiful prayer. You know, what does the Lord entrusted you with? If you have a child, what a blessing from the Lord. You've been entrusted to care for life. If you've got a friend, <laughs> you've been entrusted with life. If you have a career, you're entrusted to go into a place and to do work as unto the Lord. What have you been entrusted with in this life to leave a mark with? There's no small charge in the kingdom of God. I really truly believe that washing dishes as Brother Andrew did can change the world. Changing a diaper as unto the Lord. Giving a hug. Cooking a meal. Singing a song. Preaching a sermon. Writing a check. It all matters. We don't want it to exceed our character. So here's my prayer for us. Lord, examine my heart. Lord, would you show me where I'm building my own kingdom? Show me where I'm trying to form things or others in my own image. Show me where I'm abusing the power that you've given me. Father, would you shape us? Would you form us? Would you make us bold? to lead without power, to lead without titles, but to serve as you came to serve. Father, that will leave this world better off 
because we've walked these roads. Because we follow the paths of Jesus.